number 287 will be the song of invitation this morning after our study. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me back again to the book of Luke. This morning to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Um, it should be actually Luke chapter 4. But uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 20, Luke chapter 4 and verse 27. We're going to, um, actually, no, that's not right either. It is Luke 5, 27. What's wrong with me? Luke 5, 27. Uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus is a series that we've been doing. We've been looking at several lessons from the book of Luke, from those who are sitting at the feet or standing at the feet of Jesus. In other words, they are coming to Jesus to learn. And hopefully that's exactly what our focus in our life is, that we will learn from Jesus, the things that we are to be doing in order to serve Him. If we're going to be pleasing to the Lord, we need to be at the Lord's feet, learning what He wants from us in our life. In order to serve him properly, we have to hear the truth. We have to hear what he says. So, so many people today, they, uh, they do what they want. Instead of truly listening to Jesus and following his teaching. They live like they want. They worship like they want. We can't do that. Faith, my friend, comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith comes from what the Lord says. Not from what we want him to say or what we feel is right is what God says that matters. Learning about the authority and the value of scriptures. We were in Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 through 50 when Jesus went into the temple for the first time or into the temple complex. And he taught at the age of 12 years old. Men, the scribes were amazed at his knowledge of the scripture. And then we looked at his attitude towards the scripture in chapter 4, 1 through 13, how he used the scripture to overcome temptation. Learning how to deal with rejection is another lesson that we've talked about from Luke chapter 4. If anyone knew what rejection feels like, it's Jesus. Jesus knew what it meant, what it felt like to be rejected. He experienced it. In the worst ways imaginable. We've also looked at the need to trust in Jesus' authority. You know, it's one thing to just recognize Jesus as being king and give him lip service. And, another to, and yet another to trust in his authority. To submit to his authority. To follow him in all things. That's what we need to do. That's what we must do. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. This morning, we're going to look at the need to seek the lost. We learned this from sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching regarding the lost. Let me ask you something. We were talking about love in our Bible class this morning and what love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 down through verse 8. We talked about love quite a bit the last couple of weeks. We've emphasized that love truly is based upon our value of something. And the more we value a thing, then that means that we love it more. Well, how much, how much do we value the lost? How much do we value those lost souls who are on their way to eternal separation and destruction from God? How much do we value their souls? In verse 27 beginning... It says, and after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Well, 
this was Matthew. Levi is another name. It's his Hebrew name. So Matthew, he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Matthew and Mark both say, sinners. And the scribes, their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is necessary. Repentance is essential if someone is going to be saved. People need to hear the gospel, and they must repent if they're going to be saved. But Jesus cared enough about the lost sinner to take the gospel to them. To not only teach it, but to live it before their very eyes. Now, in this text, Jesus has come to Matthew's house. Um, Matthew had just been invited by Jesus to come and follow him. No, Jesus is reaching out to someone who would not be the prototypical convert. Not the prototypical target for discipleship. Why is that? Well, he was a a tax collector. And I know that we may have negative feelings towards tax collectors and the IRS in our time, but my friend, things were different back then. And the Jews despised tax collectors because they were, first of all, Jews. But they had turned away from the Hebrew culture. And they had adopted the Roman culture. And they worked for the Romans. They were being paid by the Romans to collect taxes. They were working for the Roman government, the enemies of the people. And many times they were harsh. And cruel, and they would, they would take extra from the people and keep for themselves. They were also, many of them, thieves. You know, we think of politicians and lawyers as being the bad guys. You know, they're, they're wicked people. And that's not true always. But that's kind of, the, kind of and car salesmen, liars and cheats. I, I think that's kind of faded over time, but nevertheless... People sometimes think of these professions in a negative light. A tax collector was just as bad as it gets. It's as bad as it gets. But yet Jesus is asked this tax collector to come follow him. And so Matthew gives a feast in his own house. He's hospitable. He brings not only Jesus but also his friends to come and to meet Jesus and to eat at this great feast. A great number of tax collectors and sinners. There is a sharp contrast presented in our text and in other texts, especially in the book of Luke, in which the Pharisees on one hand, their views toward the sinners, is contrasted with Jesus and his view towards sinners. Luke brings this out quite often in this book. There in verse 30 it says, And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, in Luke, the 19th chapter, 
verses 1 through 9, you have Zacchaeus, a tax collector. There, Zacchaeus, as Brother Sharp read uh, a few moments ago, this man was short of stature, so he climbs up in a tree. We've all heard of the story of Zacchaeus and how Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. Salvation has come to his house. Now, now Zacchaeus was one of these good tax collectors. He never cheated anybody. He always did what was fair and right. He always tried to do the right thing. But yet, you know, the, the Jews even hated him. In verse 7 of Luke 19, But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. That was their view of Zacchaeus. In chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, you have the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. They both go up into the temple to pray. The tax collector stands afar off, will not even lift his eyes to heaven, smokes himself, hits his breast and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whereas the Pharisee prays thus with himself, Lord, I am thankful I'm not like other people, like this tax collector, I don't do all these sinful things. I fast, I give, I do all these things that you would have me to do. And so Jesus, it says in verse 9, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they are righteous and despised others. Here we see the contrast of attitudes between the Pharisees and Jesus. By the way, let me point something out to you. The Pharisees... They get a bad rap, I know, in the New Testament. They get a bad rap because they're often being pointed to or singled out by Jesus as being wrong about certain things. Being self-righteous and hypocritical, that's the main thing. Jesus never condemned them for being faithful to the law. Jesus never condemned them for being specific and particular when it came to the law and abiding by the law and what they taught. He condemned them because of their attitudes towards others and also, yes, their traditions that they added on to the law. But he never condemned them for, te for keeping the law. In Matthew 9 and verse 11, this is Matthew's account of Jesus going in with Matthew into his home. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here is a question that is posed to his disciples. Why does he do this? In Luke chapter 7, in verses 34 and 39, and that context there, here is a response by the Pharisees. Look, a glutton and a winebibber, or this is what Jesus says is the response of the, of the Pharisees towards him. You know, they rejected John because he wouldn't engage in anything such as as, as, you know, common food. He was a complete. Uh, uh, he completely turned away from culture and from from doing things that were considered luxurious. He wouldn't engage in anything. He wore camel's hair and ate wild honey and lived off the land. So they condemned him, however. And so Jesus turns around and says, and they talk about me saying, "Look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." In verse 36 of this context in Luke chapter 7, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. 
And he went to the Pharisee's house. Now, okay, he's, we've read here in chapter 5 how he'd gone into the tax collector's house, the sinners, and ate with them. Now he's going into a Pharisee's house. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Everybody knew that she was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet. And anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He spoke to himself saying. This man if he were a prophet would know. Who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Now he didn't say this out loud. Says he spoke this to himself. If he were a prophet, he would know. So in this Pharisee's mind, because Jesus did not, I guess, kick the woman out of his house, uh, was not rude to her, uh, he assumed that he was not a prophet, not a true prophet. What would a true representative of God do in this situation? How would he treat this sinner? If he knew that she was a sinner, wouldn't he treat her differently? No. He, did Jesus know she was a sinner? Sure he did. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Okay, now, he didn't say, Simon didn't say what he said out loud to himself. He kept it to himself. So, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one, who, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Now, again, Simon knew he knew the truth. He knew this principle. He understood it. He answered it correctly. What about when it comes to sinners? Those who come to a knowledge and understanding of the truth, who have done terrible things in their life, who come under the judgment of God and they see themselves under the judgment of God. And then they find a way of escape from the judgment of God. And they come to understand and realize the nature of this, this forgiveness, this love of God that has been shed out before them that they have now taken a hold of. They're going to be more appreciative, won't they, than someone who has you know, lived a God like the rich young ruler. All these things I've kept from my youth up. You see, his problem was he did not see himself as the sinner he was. This woman did. And we all need to come to see ourselves as sinners before God. He then turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. It's about action. And Jesus is making that point. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We talked about the power of the Lord to forgive sins last week. And we talked a little bit about the paralytic that was brought into him and was let down, let down through the roof before him. And he told him, your sins are forgiven. And, everybody, and you know, the Pharisees just, what, just blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, here he is again. He's saying it again. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now, do we understand that Jesus did indeed come to save sinners? We are all sinners. We all need the salvation that Jesus provides. Every single one of us. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. And we see this again. Luke chapter 15. It begins in verses 1 and 2 where then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. So it's the sinners and the tax collectors that are coming to hear Jesus, to hear what he has to say. And the Pharisees and scribes complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus responds with a parabolic triptych. That is, he told three parables all dealing with the same point. Teaching the same primary lesson. Each parable will stand on its own, but they are all associated together. You have the parable of the lost sheep in verses 1 through 7. The parable of the lost coin in verses 8 through 10. And the parable of the lost son beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And so you have these, this parabolic triptych that is teaching that Jesus has come to save sinners and what our attitude should be towards sinners. Beginning with the lost sheep, Jesus in verses 4 through 7 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Well, what's Jesus' point? Is he not hitting at the attitude that we ought to have for those who are lost? Is he not pointing out the attitude that we need to have? If a shepherd has a sheep that goes astray, he's going to go out and find it. We're going to look for that sheep. Why? Because we value that sheep. We value that little lamb. And we're going to go seek it out to find it. How does the shepherd react when the lost sheep is found? 
You know, if the lost sheep did not, if the lost sheep was not valued by its shepherd, the shepherd would, you know, not respond as he did. But he rejoiced when he found the sheep. What does the shepherd's reaction indicate about the value of that sheep, of that little lamb? It was lost, but now it's found. Now the shepherd is happy. He's rejoicing. He has found that for which he was responsible. You know, my friend, I know that we care about people. I I know that we're supposed to, for sure, and I know that most of us do. But do we do all within our power to bring back those who are lost? We all know people who have strayed from the path of righteousness. We all know people who have gone back into the world. What have we done to try to find them? We were talking this morning in Bible class about love. What does love do? Let us love in deed and truth. Our actions need to demonstrate our value for other people. And the most important things are spiritual things. And when people leave their spiritual relationship with God behind, they, they go back into the world they need, they need to know that God loves them and wants to forgive them. He wants them to repent and come back. How much do we care? The next parable, Jesus will turn to a coin. As the shepherd rejoiced over the sheep now we find the woman who loses a coin having ten coins loses one if she loses one coin does not does she not light the lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she has found it she calls her friends and neighbors together saying rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost likewise I say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents? Well, this woman, she knew how many coins she had. She cared for them, and she was responsible for them, and one came up missing. So she sweeps the house. She's diligent in her search until she finds it. She doesn't stop until she finds it. And when she finds it, she rejoices. She calls her friends, and they are asked to rejoice with her. And so the same point is made again. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. And again, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is our attitude towards the lost? You know, we're not going to go out and seek the lost. We're not going to beat the bushes of this world trying to find people who are interested in the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. If we do not value them. Until we learn to value the lost. Love the lost. We're not going to have the proper attitude. We're not going to have the motivation to go out and seek the lost. Now we come to the example of the lost son. Now things are a little different in this parable. You have a son who willfully. With rebellion gathers his things and goes off into the world. 
A certain man had two sons, and the younger of these said to his father, Father, give me now the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far company and that country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. He spent his money on, well... All kinds of things that were sinful. Drunkenness, harlotry, a profligate lifestyle. Of course, as he was in this foreign country, he suffers loss. He loses everything he has. He wasted it. And he finds himself eating with pigs. And he was glad just to be filled with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. The world is cruel. The world is harsh. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger? You know, here's one of the problems that we deal with today. Our culture has done everything it can to minimize the negative consequences of sin. You know, our school systems pass out uh, preventions of, to, of pregnancy, birth control, whatever it may be, to, to children. And they're trying to avoid the consequences of sinful behavior. We try so hard in our society to, to limit the negative consequences of sinful behavior because so many people so enjoy their lifestyle. I wonder how things would be different if our culture was a little different if, you know, sinning did have the consequences that it normally would have. You know, one of the things about, for example, passing out contraceptives in school is they call it safe sex. My friend, there is no such thing as safe sin. No such thing. We may avert some of the physical consequences, but the spiritual consequences are still there and they're even more real. But he's, in, he's wasted his pleasure or his inheritance on this pleasure and now he finds himself in this condition to where he now needs his father. He recognizes it. And he recognizes in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what he says, I'm going to tell my father. Make me like one of your hired hands. He recognizes that he has sinned against his father and against heaven. And so the son said to himself, Father, this is, I'm a sinner. I've transgressed your will. And I'm not worthy to be received as your child. In verse 20 it says, And he arose and he came to his father. And when his father saw him from a great ways off, it runs to his child. Now here we have the attitude of God. Towards the sinner who is coming home. We need to understand this attitude of our father. 
The wayward son, after realizing he was lost, he comes home, the father willingly, lovingly, joyfully welcomes him back. The lost son made his own decisions. He chose to do what he did to begin with. Don't you know that hurt the father? But he made a decision to swallow his pride. To come back home. What did he expect when he returned? He expected not to be welcomed back. Maybe hired as a hired servant. And live as a slave. That's what he expected. That is what he was willing to accept. But that's not what he got. When he came home, the father's response, when he saw him afar off, he ran to him. He embraced him and he kissed him. So, what happens then? The, the son confesses and tells his father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. His father, glad to receive him, adorns him with a robe and a ring. And sandals, and he throws this feast to celebrate his son's return. Luke 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now, all these, remember, these three parables are told to expose the hypocrisy and the wrongness of the Pharisees' attitude towards sinners. We need these same lessons today. It is easy to look down on people who are not living as they should. It is easy not to have compassion for them and to think, well, they're just getting what they deserve. And in reality, that's exactly what's happening. They get what they deserve. But you know what? God doesn't want us to get what we deserve. What if I got what I deserved? What if you got what you really deserved? What you would get is death just like I would get. Separation from God forever and ever. But God's desire. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. God is long suffering not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's his, that's his will. His desire is that you come to a knowledge of the truth that you might be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 5. That's God's, that's God's desire and that's God's will. Now, here we see the contrast between the Father's attitude and the Pharisee's attitude in verses 25 through 28 of chapter 15. The older son was so angry he would not go in to eat. I'm not, mm-mm. I'm not going to do it. How dare my father receive my brother back like that? He was angry. The father goes out and pleads with his son. And explains to him, you know, he was lost and now he's, he's found. Of course, the son makes his case. Look, I've been with you all this time. I've never done anything contrary to your will. I've always been here for you to help you. You needed anything, you could call me. You could trust me. I was dependable. And, and your other son, he goes off and wastes his inheritance. 
How dare you receive him back like that? The son thought the father had done wrong. He thought that his father was doing wrong in accepting his brother back. How should the older son have reacted? Shouldn't he also have been happy that his brother had come home? Should he not have also been rejoicing because his brother had repented? He's come back home. Well, sure he should. And I think we all can see that. We understand that. None of us want to be like that older brother, do we? What is our attitude towards the laws? As we sit at Jesus' feet, I think one of the things that is striking or should be to us, is that Jesus truly does care about those who are lost, including me. That's why he came, and that's why he died on the cross, so that we could be saved. And I'll say to you, my friend, if we have truly received that salvation ourselves, if we truly come to see ourselves as we really are, a sinner in need of that salvation, then we'll, we'll be able to see others like that. They are sinners in need of salvation like I was. You know, none of us are really any better than anybody else. We have all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Yes, yes, those adulterers and fornicators and drug users and people of the world who hate God, they are sinners. And listen, if they don't repent, they're all going to be lost eternally. Everyone. And they will get what they deserve. But God doesn't want them to get what they deserve. He wants them to be saved. Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. That ought to be our attitude towards those who are lost. We, we see that that's God's attitude. That's Jesus' attitude. What about our attitude? Now, it's true. In, by the way, in these parables, in these stories, we have different types of sinners. You have, for example, in Luke 15, the lost sheep. Knew it was lost. It just didn't know how to get back home. It needed help. Okay, so the shepherd goes out and finds it and brings it back home. Then you have the example of the lost coin. It did not know it was lost. did not know the way home. The coin don't know anything. But you have the woman who lost the coin. She loved that enough to find it because she valued it. The point of that story, though, is the, the value that we ought to have. And the reality is there are people out there who don't know that they're lost, who think that they're okay. But they're not. Then we have those who, like the lost son, knew he was lost. He knew he was in rebellion. He knew he was a sinner. And it wasn't until his circumstances brought him to his senses. He hit rock bottom. Sometimes people just have to hit rock bottom before they realize what they've done. And realize their need. You know, it's interesting also in this case of the lost son. 
The father did not go out knocking on every door he could to find him. That lost son made a conscious, willful decision to leave. Now the father never stopped loving him. We're not told that the father sent anyone out looking for him or not. I don't know. But I do know that the father welcomed him back when he decided to come home. And ultimately, it is going to be on the shoulders of everyone who has left the truth to make their own mind up to come home. That's true. But again, our attitude towards them, don't we want them to come to a knowledge of the truth that they also may be saved? That they come to repentance that they may be saved? You also have in this last parable the elder brother. He didn't know that he was wrong for the way he was thinking. He had to be corrected. The lost son is typical of the Pharisees and their attitude towards the lost. That's the point that Jesus is making. They needed to see their attitude towards the lost was wrong and do something about it. They needed to learn how to value the lost. My friend, sinners never lose their value. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus says, If we were to gain the whole world and lose our own soul, what will we have gained? The, re- the point is, we have lost it all. That which is most valuable to every one of us is our soul. There is nothing more valuable than that, that you can have, that you can possess, that you're responsible. Nothing more important, more, nothing more valuable than your soul. And that's also true of the drug addict that's laying in the street. Their soul is just as valuable as yours. Sinners never lose their value. They lose their way. And in their rebellion, they, they use their usefulness. They, they lose their relationship with God. They lose their relationship with their children, with their family. They lose their relationship with all who love them. They lose their blessedness. And they lose their souls. They throw it away. If we have that which is needed by them, the gospel, the truth, and we don't try to show them. We can't make people do what they don't want to do. You can't make somebody. Do that which they do not want to do. That's a hard lesson to learn. But it's the truth. However, we can do all we can. We can do what we can. With what we have. To bring them to a knowledge of the truth. So that they can see their need. So that they can see the way home. This is something that Jesus tried to teach his apostles. And those who would sit at his feet came to learn and understand that Jesus truly did love them. And as we think about the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles, we should learn these very lessons as well. We need to know that the state of the lost is, it's lost. They are heading for destruction. As Ephesians 2 and verse 12 says, enemies of God, separated from it, without hope. They need to know how much God loves them. They, 
they need to understand that Jesus Christ died for them. And that there is a way to be saved. They need to understand that there is joy in heaven if they return to the Lord, if they repent. They need to realize their value. They need to understand by our attitudes and actions that we care for them. Did y'all see the story of the, of the fellow? I think it was day before yesterday who was going to jump off of a bridge into a river and someone stopped him and the guy was you know, appreciative and they began to talk and study the scriptures and this man was baptized into Christ because someone cared enough to talk him off the ledge and save his life. You know, when people see that you care, they'll listen. People came to realize that Jesus really cared. That's why people listened. Now, it is very true that as Jesus continued his ministry, that many of these people fell away from him because his teaching was hard. It was difficult. That was their choice. It wasn't because Jesus didn't love them. And there will be many people who are lost, not because Jesus doesn't love them or because we don't love them, but because of their choices. But we must do what we have been given the duty to do, and that is to teach the gospel, to live the gospel, to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. That's our duty and responsibility. Do, do we see ourselves in any of these parables and stories in Luke chapter 5? And 17, 19, uh, are we more like Jesus or are we more like the Pharisee? What about the two debtors? Do we see ourselves as one who desperately needed that forgiveness and we're so appreciative because we have sinned much and we've been forgiven much? The shepherd, and by the way, how would that motivate us? Do we see ourselves as the shepherd who is seeking the lost? The woman who is seeking the lost coin. The lost sheep. Maybe we're the one that is lost. Maybe we are the lost coin that needs to be found. Or the lost son that has gone away in rebellion. Maybe we're the eldest son who looks down on those who even have turned back to the Lord. The loving father. Who wants all to be saved, come to a knowledge of the truth? See, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And if our light is hidden, if people can't see it, then all of our words are going to be null and void. We have to live what we believe, what we teach. In seeking the lost, we have to follow Jesus ourselves. In John 4, verses 34 through 36, Jesus is talking about his, you know, the disciples' role and responsibility because, remember, he had just had this conversation with this woman at the well in Samaria, in the Samaritan village. And this woman, she was uh, a sinner. But Jesus makes the point to his disciples when they come back, look, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. 
My friend, there is a lost world out there that needs the gospel. And we need to do everything we can to get the gospel out of a building, into the streets, into the world. Anything and everything we can. Hopefully this will be a motivation for us to look into our own lives and our own hearts and our own mindsets, our attitudes. And do what's necessary so that we can be true disciples of Jesus and living a life that will seek out those who are lost. To try to help others come to a knowledge of the truth. It is the truth that will make you free, John 8, 32. Not error, not lies, not false teaching, but the truth. And the truth is in God's Word, and we need to share it with people. And if you're in need of the truth, we'd love to sit down with you and study with you and help you come to a knowledge of what God says. Not what I think or what I believe or what I feel, but what does the Bible say? Let us learn God's way. If we can help you in any way this morning. Maybe you're here, you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. I believe Jesus. And if you believe Jesus, you can be saved by Jesus. And that would make all of us very happy. And the angels in heaven would rejoice. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to repent of. Anything we knew to help you, please come as we stand and as we sing.